I've listened to Shoots Too Narrow by The Shins for four years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. I might go get myself a little drinky drink. What? We're just about to start the episode. I'll do the whatever. Go get your drinky drink. I'll do the intro. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be getting drinky drinks from their fridge. I'm James. Connor will be with us shortly. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about an album that's different, I think, than a lot of other things we've done. It shoots too narrow by the shins. Connor, are you with us yet? Okay, I guess not. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about The Shins anyway. So The Shins were formed in 1996 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they've kind of been... Got my drinky drink. (laughs) Fantastic. Hi, what are you (laughs) drinking tonight, Connor? A strawberry melon spark Mountain Dew energy drink and a cupcake. But I'm not drinking that. I'm just eating it. Could that beverage have more adjectives in the title? (laughs) That was so complicated. It's called Strawberry Melon Spark, and it's got like a pink lion as the logo. Not a sponsor. It's got immune support and mental boost. You're going to need it. I'm mentally boosted for this recording. (laughs) Get ready for a mentally boosted episode of Spin It. (laughs) But then I also have a chocolate cupcake, so that's exciting. Yeah, don't drink that. It doesn't work that way. Blend it up and chug it. For a mental boost. (laughs) Anyway, uh, like I was saying, The Shins formed in 1996 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they've kind of been credited as a band that really put Albuquerque on the musical map, so to speak. Do you know about The Shins? Have you ever encountered them in your music listening? No, I don't think I have. They're not one I recognized. I think this is one I was coming in full blind on. Full blind. Yeah, it makes sense to me because... You used to be a soccer player, and soccer players always wear their shin guards. So, not surprised this one didn't make it past. Ooh, I hate, I hate that I'm laughing at that uh-huh, right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a smile on my face, and I don't want it to be there. Good shin guards. I can't believe you. I, you knew I was coming. <laughs> it was probably the most predictable joke I've ever made. I wish I saw it coming. Well, after your drink, maybe you will. I'm not mentally boosted enough yet. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> So The Shins was the brainchild of James Mercer, who was playing in a band called Flake at the time. And that band was touring with groups like Modest Mouse and Caliphone, so they were making a splash, or starting to. And then Mercer decides he needs a change of pace. So, with the help of Flake drummer Jesse Sandoval, he forms The Shins to quote-unquote get out of his shell and give him a social life. So the duo started making music, with Mercer as the primary songwriter, And his goal with the shins was really to change up his style. So he started working through all these different new techniques and sounds. And by the time Shoots Too Narrow came out, keyboardist and bassist Martin Crandall and guitarist Dave Hernandez joined the shins lineup, which really filled out their new unique sound even more. Their first LP was called Oh Inverted World. It came out in 2001, and most of it was recorded in Mercer's basement because it was before their record deal. They signed with Sub Pop. Do you remember Sub Pop? They've come up a couple times. Um, they sound familiar. Mm-hmm. Sub Pop is the label that signed Nirvana and the Head in the Heart. Mm, the business sheep people. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, the business sheep label. 
before they signed their record deal, they released O Inverted World. It sold over 100,000 units in its first two years. Their initial goal was 10,000 copies, so they absolutely destroyed that by a factor of 10. They crushed it. And that's when the band relocated to Portland, Oregon. And they recorded their second release. This one, Shoots Too Narrow. Once again recorded in Mercer's basement, but this time they at least managed to turn the basement into a proper recording studio because it was, quote-unquote, cheaper than a real studio, as one might expect. Interesting. Yeah, isn't it? This whole album was recorded in a basement. That tracks. That's a really funny recording joke. That tracks, because you record tracks. (laughs) (laughs) That's that mental boost. It's coming in handy. (laughs) The really pivotal moment for The Shins came in 2004, when their song New Slang was very prominently featured in the 2004 movie Garden State. The characters that were played by Zach Braff and Natalie Portman claim that the song will change your life. Yeah. And so after that feature in the movie, the band's sales literally doubled. Changed their life. Yeah, it did. The song changes the listener's life and the band's life, too. Who knew? Over time, all this success started to get to Mercer, and so he decided to take a break and kind of reinvent the band yet again. He, quote-unquote, unequivocally fired everyone as a part of what he called an aesthetic decision. He, he really loved the chance to get to work with new musicians on all these future projects, but it left the rest of the, you know, the original band members a little bit mad about it. Mm-hmm. He did think it was kind of funny, though. The Shins was a band made up of people who weren't the Shins anymore, <laughs> right? He kind of likened it to, like, one Beach Boy touring with the Beach Boy's name. You know, kind of what happened there? Yeah. You, I like if you go see Queen, it's like, yeah, it's Queen, but also it's Adam Lambert, you know? People that have never been in the band taking on the name of the band. So in this new iteration, this this new era of the Shins is still active today, and their most recent projects, Heartworms and its companion album, The Worm's Heart, came out in 2017 and 2018. Whoa. Yeah, I, right? I know, it sounds gnarly. And they released a new single back in late 2020. What happens when a worm's heart gets heartworms? The same thing that happens to... I I don't know. What kind of question is that? (laughs) Can worms get heartworms? Do worms have hearts? (laughs) Can worms get heartworms? Mm. Do worms have hearts? Worms possess a heart-like structure called an aortic arch. Oh. So they don't have a heart, but they have a heart-like structure. Worms are heartless. I wonder what the the Worms Heart album is about. Did they know? Do you think that worms get aortic arch worms? Maybe. I don't know. Hey, at the shins, did you know that worms don't have hearts? What's this about? This been an investigative team will get on it. <laughs> it should be heart worms and the aortic arch of the worm. <laughs> Fake worm fans. Anyway... All that's to say, uh, they're not the most gilded band that we've talked about, but it's mostly the reputation that precedes them. They earned their sole Grammy nomination back in 2008 for Best Alternative Music Album for their third record called Wincing the Night Away. They've also been nominated for Best Film Song at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards, three MTVU Woody Awards, and a Plug Independent Music Award for Music Video of the Year for 2008's Phantom Limb. So that's kind of the background of the Shins. You know, they're really Albuquerque's pioneers of folksy singer-songwriter alt music. And this week, we're focusing in on that sophomore album, Shoots Too Narrow. If you haven't heard it, if you want the context, it's a fairly quick listen. You can knock this whole album out in just over half an hour. It's only 10 little tracks. It came out in 2003, and as far as genre goes, Mercer thinks of the Shins as, quote-unquote, a pop project, but he kind of said that everything they listened to 
makes its way into the group sound. He said they've been inspired by a bunch of bands who basically just keep reinventing the same thing. So that's kind of what the Shins aspired towards. Rolling Stone actually described the Shins as bringing the pop traditions of 1960s pop bands, like the Zombies and the Beach Boys, to a new generation of music fans. So you can kind of think of them as new era Beach Boys, new wave zombies or whatever. That's, that's not too inaccurate, I think. It's pretty close to on the money. Shoots Too Narrow is record number two out of currently six to date for the Shins, if you count Heartworms and the Worms Heart separately. It sold over 400,000 copies so far, which is a pretty resounding success for the band. And Shoots Too Narrow has a Metacritic score of 88 out of 100. It's pretty solid. We'll see where it lands on our lists, but 88 out of 100 is pretty respectable. It peaked at number 86 on the US Billboard 200 and made it to 82 overall in the UK. And there's some really interesting distinctions from their first record to the Shoots Too Narrow, which is one reason it's so fun to check it out and dig into it. It represents a lot of growth for the band. First of all, it's a lot cleaner. Phil Eck was the producer, and he's also worked with groups like Modest Mouse, so he's got the experience to back it up. It's also a lot more guitar-focused, whereas their first record was way more piano-driven. And I think it's a really good flashpoint as the band starts to develop their signature sound and kind of realize their direction. Mercer also claims that his songwriting is greatly improved from album one to album two. He says that this album brings, quote-unquote, a broader perspective than O Inverted World. And this album also has earned some recognition for itself. It placed at number 17 on the AV Club's Best Music of the Decade list in 2009. It was number 75 on NME's Top 100 of the Decade, number 24 in Paste, number 46 in Pitchfork, etc., etc. It basically made all kinds of Best of the Decade lists. That's really the point I'm trying to make. Widely regarded as kind of a, a landmark album in the first 10 years of the 2000s. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, you. it's maybe an unassuming record to hold that distinction. And uh, last little tidbit before we kick into some factor spin, Mercer and Mercer alone wrote all 10 tracks. Yes. So there's your bonus point. I think that really helps with the album's style, its cohesion. I think just having one writer like that really means he's able to focus the record where he wants it to go. We'll see how well he does it in a minute. First, I better put my shin guards on because I feel like <laughs> I'm about to get kicked. As the mixtaper comes in here for Factor Spin. Let's get him on in here. I saw him chug like five of those Mountain Dew Energies, so he's going to be real mentally boosted for this episode. He's going to be so boosted. <laughs> you better be ready. I'm not. I'm not. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. How How's your week been? Uh, it's good. I feel, I feel recharged, more like myself. Felt a little off last week. Yeah, you often do when you play Factor Spin against Connor. Yeah. And it's probably, he just does so stinking well. It just really throws me off my rhythm. It just probably makes you so frustrated. Yeah, yeah. If I were you, if I, if I were you, I'd be really frustrated with how well Connor does at Factor Spin. Yeah. I I just I haven't figured out how to stump him yet. No, you haven't. Maybe maybe he's just superior. I don't know about that. <laughs> My first fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, straight into it. Yeah, we got a we got a classic four coming up. All right. Yeah, I'm trying to decide what's the most rampish. We must find the most rampish classic four. <laughs> yes. Let's start with this one, I guess. He had an album stolen. He had an album stolen? Yeah. Okay, like an album that he owns, like a record or a, a CD? Like one, one of his albums. One of his. But like like a copy of one that he had? The copy. The copy. Well, tell me more. What happened? Did he just leave it lying about? Yeah, his house got robbed. 
Oh. And the thieves stole the computer that had the recordings on them, had the master tapes. Oh, shoot. Okay, so he lost the masters. He lost everything. Which album did he lose? Yeah. Oh, Inverted World. Oh, no. Yeah. That sucks. Imagine how hard that would be to, like, pour your heart and soul into your debut record and have it be just taken. Like, you cannot get that back. Well, they were able to get... They still had the digital audio tape files, so they were able to salvage the recordings from that. They just lost the remixing capability because they didn't have the original soundtracks to go with them. Right, yeah. They have still, like, the songs. The songs still exist. They just can't take the tracks and remaster them and just do anything like that, which is sad. Except for one song. Ooh, which one? New Slang. Oh, of course. Of course, it's their big one from the movie, yeah. (laughs) He happened to have that one on on a DVD, and so that one was able to be recovered. On On a DVD? Yeah. I'm not too familiar with, like, early 2000s music recording techniques dvd is an interesting way to store your masters that was because a video game company wanted it and he had to put together stems to send to them no way what video game was the song going to be featured in i don't know oh couldn't find it maybe it was ape out maybe (laughs) i'm gonna guess it either was a low level like a, a low profile game or it didn't end up making it into the game because i could not find it that's fair computers in the early 2000s were huge you gotta be committed to steal one okay well i guess i'm gonna lock this in as a true fact this is a true fact well the thing that's got me leaning fact the most is that they did record all these in the basement especially that first album Mm -hmm. so if you recorded it on your personal computer with your personal equipment it's and again a master is not something you're just gonna delete or get rid of and it's not exactly like you had easy ways to store digital files in 2001, 2, 3, 4, whatever, whenever this happened. So I'm thinking it's not unlikely that if someone broke into his house, they would take things of value, and a thing of value would be the computer in the recording studio basement. This is a fact. Ooh, a fact. Well, I'm, I feel bad cheering for that one because it was a sucky occurrence. He said he learned the lesson of never go on tour and not have your house watched carefully. I guess so, yeah. I like that fact because I got to learn more about how like audio files work, like the masters versus the DATs and what stemming track is and things like that. Yeah, you're, you're getting that knowledge. We're an educational podcast. We're something. We're something. If you're looking for a podcast that's something, try spin it. I like it. I think I think the next best ramp up is they tried to sell branded band-aids. Branded band-aids? This feels like, did Barry Manilow write jingles for them? <laughs> I am stuck on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid sponsors shins. Um, what are we, <laughs> so they tried to get Band-Aids. Custom shins Band-Aids. Yeah. Were they Band-Aids for your shins, like the body part? I knew that was going to be one of your questions. No, these are just normal Band-Aids. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could be used on your shins then, is what you're saying. They're actually anti-shin Band-Aids. They stick to anywhere on your body except the shins. No. Wow. <laughs> They tried to get band-aids with their album art on them. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> Why? What's the marketing? What's the move? Is there like a song that correlates to wounds or something? Like, nope. Why band-aids? Uh, that would be because one day Mercer cut his hand while cooking dinner and needed a band-aid, and he had the idea of having shins-themed band-aids. No. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> that's a good idea, I guess. Um, and they never happened. Did they exist? No, but they did make it pretty decently far. They they went to Band-Aid. It was like, we'd like to get custom-made Band-Aids. And they pitched the idea and discussed pricing. And it was just too expensive. Too, oh, how expensive was it? I could not find a number as hard as I tried. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? 
that means we have to approach Band-Aid and try and make some spinning Band-Aids. That'd be great. Wow, what a bizarre fact. I just don't, to be blunt, I don't see a market for the Shins-themed Band-Aids. Neither do I. (laughs) I'm going to say this is probably uh, a spin. I'm going to say this is a spin. You don't think Mercer tried to get Shin-branded Band-Aids? No, I don't. Maybe you cut your hand while you were cooking. And you thought it'd be fun to include a fact about branded band-aids in the podcast. This one's not hitting me right. I think this is a spin. It's like you're in my mind. This is a spin. (laughs) That's exactly how I came up with it. Oh no, is your hand okay? (laughs) Oh yeah. Good. Nicked myself making some pumpernickel bread. That was a good fake fact. It had me thinking. Uh, yeah, I thought it was wild enough. You would have thought like maybe this was true. I was go- I was going for shock value uh, on that one. Yeah, definitely. No, see, some artists I can write off right away. Like this person would never approach. Ba- like Halsey's not going to go to Band Aid and say, yeah. "Hey, let's make some Halsey Band Aids." But I feel like I feel like James Mercer might. Yeah, and that's where your strength was in that one. Well, another one that's going to make you think James Mercer might is that James Mercer likes to go ghost hunting. Ghost hunting, you say? Yes. Where does he ghost hunt? Like abandoned buildings or does he have specific places that he frequents? He's done the abandoned buildings, you know, the haunted hospitals, things like that. He's done all the classics, but his all-time favorite was exploring a haunted McDonald's. (laughs) Okay. All right. The real fact always comes a couple minutes after you say the first fact. (laughs) So he's ghost hunted in a haunted McDonald's. Why was this McDonald's so haunted? Someone choke on a Big Mac and just like vow revenge? It's floating. I don't know if that's what makes it haunted, but that's a cool thing about it. It's it's floating? (laughs) Uh It's a McDonald's on like a McBoat? No. It was suspended in the air? What what are you talking about? uh, No, it's been flooded the land around it is flooded so it kind of looks like it's floating out on the water it's a mcdonald's in the middle of an accidental lake okay so uh, maybe i should just back up and start from the beginning i feel like we're we've kind (laughs) of gone a couple different directions here i'm more curious about the floating mcdonald's than i am about the ghost hunting we should yeah it's it's called the mcbarge the (laughs) mcbarge that's awesome yes it's a haunted, abandoned barge that has been floating in Vancouver, Canada. Oh, is it a McDonald's or is it a barge? Did they... What? It's a McDonald's restaurant that got turned into a barge after the surrounding area flooded. A functioning barge. It's abandoned now, but... What on earth are you... <laughs> I know. So he, he boats out there, he gets onto the McBarge. The barge, officially called the Friendship 500, is commonly known as the McBarge because it used to be a McDonald's restaurant built back in 1986. But what haunts it? Like the ghost of Chicken McNuggets past? Like, what's the deal? I don't know, but it's now considered a haunted abandoned barge that you can go do a ghost hunt in. And Mercer did this. Did he find anything? No, we found no evidence of ghost activity in the McBarge. I feel like uh, you got to go to the McBarge late nights. That's where Machine Gun Kelly's weed ghosts will hang out at the end of the night. (laughs) Well, in fact, it operated as a McDonald's until 1991, until it was left abandoned and in disarray. It's also not the world's first floating McDonald's. It's the second floating McDonald's after one in St. Louis. (laughs) Why does this fact keep going? (laughs) What? One in St. Louis... Were the circumstances any, like, similar? Just one that flooded 
or did they build it intending for it to float? No, I, I think that one was built as an exhibition. It's very confusing. All I know is that there's the Mick Barge out there. It's called Haunted. Mercer went and did a ghost hunt there. No way. No way. This is another one where you just know about the Mick Barge somehow, and you just wanted to say it. So I, <laughs> I think this is a spin, and maybe he ghost hunts. Maybe he's been to the McBarge. I don't know. I, I'm still saying this is a spin. I guess I believe everything about the McBarge, but I don't think it's got any ties to James Mercer or the Shins. Maybe it doesn't even have ghost ties. This is a spin. Uh-huh. Hey. <laughs> there, I learned about the McBarge recently and I just couldn't not talk about it. I, I feel extra good so far about this week because not only have I got you twice, I've also totally got why you've come up with the things you've come up with twice. Yeah, the McBarge was a McDonald's restaurant. It exists. It's a cool thing. Add it to the spin it road trip list. For whenever we're in British Columbia next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that leaves me with my final ramp. Okay, let's see how it goes. And the greatest of all. Did you say the greatest of all? He has an army of frogs. Oh, boy. <laughs> he has an army of frogs. Mm-hmm. Living real frogs or like figures or statues or... A mixture of the two. How how big is his army? He has over 20 living frogs. Okay, o- over 20 living frogs? Yes, and the reason I say it's an army is because I, when looking all this up, I learned a group of frogs is called an army. Is so. it really? Wait. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> a group of frogs is called an army. Okay, and how many fake ones are we talking? Oh, I don't know. He's an avid frog collector. Sure. He's a frog fan. Just like that guy in The Good Place, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, why frogs? He grew up frog chasing as a child. It was a, it was a thing he would do as a child. Interesting. Which frog chasing, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, is the hobby of going out and catching frogs at night and putting them like in buckets and typically letting them go, but I guess he's kept some of them. So... How does one take care of 20 frogs? Like, what's his routine look like? Does he have a big frog tank, or are they free range? Like, they hop around his living room. What's the deal? (laughs) Free range? No, they all have little tanks. You can't store all of them together, different species and all that. I mean, I guess so. This is a weird one. Do they have names? I'm sure they do. I mean, who gets an army of frogs and doesn't name them? Fair, fair. Does he have a favorite frog? Yes. Well, in an interview, he said that his favorite frog is a Burmese chubby. That sounds like a frog that would be a fast favorite. (laughs) I've not seen or heard of it before, but based on name alone, I can take a guess at what it looks like. What do you think it looks like? I think it's, uh, it's got four legs, looks, you know, pretty amphibious. Probably has some eyes on it and a tongue that goes blant and catches flies. <laughs> Looks like a frog. <laughs> Sounds like it may be chubby. I don't know. The Burmese chubby is a frog that is brown in color, but typically has like a colored ring going circumferentially around it. It's wearing a belt. Kind of, but like the wrong way. Like if you were to wear a belt from your head, like around your groin and back up. Oh, well, that's awful. That's a thing I never want to think about again. But then also sideways, like think about it that way, but then shifted 90 degrees. <laughs> I just, I just show me the frog. Stop trying to talk about wrapping belts around your butt. I just need to see the frog. Here's a picture of the frog in the Discord. <laughs> okay, I see. I see what you're saying. Ridiculous. I'm going to say this is difficult. <laughs> it has to be a spin. It has to be? No, but it probably is a spin. I think I've done three spins in a row. I think you have. And, uh, I mean, if he had 20 frogs in his house, we'd hear him on this basement recording. <laughs> 
I'm just, I'm kidding, but also, I don't know. He he tours a lot. His house gets broken into. I, I don't know if I'd be eager to keep 20 frogs around. That also just sounds like a lot of work, and you gotta really like frogs to keep 20 frogs. I don't know what the frog population's like in the Pacific Northwest, but I just, it's safer for me to go spin on this one. This is... A spin! Yes, a perfect yes. week for you! The perfect week on the shins on some really wild <laughs> My goodness. I thought I'd give you three really wild spins under the idea that you would be like, not all three of these can be false. Like, like, you, like you would think I was burying a true one amongst other chaos. Oh, you did with the house break-in. Yeah, that one was probably the most tame out of the three. Four of them, in my opinion. That's why I started with it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty rampish. A collection of wild, fake facts about the shins. Yeah, sorry if you were listening to this podcast for facts about the shins. Guess we don't have many of those yet. Well, that's another failed week in a row for the mixtaper. Yeah, that's two bum uh. weeks in a row. Uh, no half points for you this week, unfortunately. It's fun to throw in a wild one every once in a while. Yeah, it really is. I, di- I did learn some facts, though, like the McBarge and about an army of frogs. Yeah, there was there was some facts in there, just not about the shins. <laughs> we're we're educational across a you know a multitude of topics. You thought it was a music <laughs> podcast. Now we're learning about frogs and McDonald's. We're a podcast about something. Yeah, <laughs> a real something. We're a cupcake drinking something podcast. <laughs> All right, and with that, I'm out of here to go contact Band-Aid about Spin It Branded Band-Aids. Okay, well, have fun. Good luck. Yeah! And we will catch the mixtaper next week on another episode of everyone's favorite Is It a Truth, Is It a Lie game show, Fact or Spin. Meanwhile, we can welcome Connor back. Connor. I feel so mentally boosted right now. I was just sipping just... On, my, on my energy drink while all that was happening. Yeah, oh, good. I bet you would have done well at that factor spin yourself. I always do. I bet. Well, let's talk about the album art for Shoots Too Narrow. Let's do it. For those of you who might not know, the album art is the art on the front of the album. Whoa. Yeah, I know. I can't believe we've gone 41 episodes and haven't told anybody that yet. This album art, in particular, was created by Jesse Ledoux, a Seattle-based designer and an artist who has worked on albums for artists like Elliot Smith, Death Cab for Cutie, and other sub-pop artists. And he's actually got work in the permanent collection of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Really? Yeah, uh, the album art on Shoots Too Narrow was so good that it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Album Packaging. The album cover for this album is drawn in a really, like, 2D cartoony style. And it's got a little pond, a little pasture with a sign that says shoots too narrow. There's some squares floating in it. It looks like a golf course. It kind of does look like a golf course. You're right. But there's also like rocky mountains on the edges of it. There's a periscope. It's a golf course set in the middle of a mountain range. Yeah. There's some radio towers in the back. There's like an ant hill, but it's beehive colored. A beehive ant hill. That's where the ant bees live. And then what's interesting is the lyrics that are scribbled behind the entire thing. You can kind of make them out on the bottom left especially. You can read some of the lyrics. Oh, yeah, there are lyrics there. I think they have the lyrics for Gone for Good about leaving the ring on the track for the wheels to nullify is what I can make out there. That makes sense. So uh, suffice it to say it's an interesting album cover. You'll have to check out our social media to figure out where we hide our logo for this very busy picture. There's a lot going on. With that said, though, let's get into it. Up first. Kissing the Lipless is up first. Yes. The opening track on this record. There's like some clapping at the beginning of that one, right? Yes. Starts with a lot of clapping. Yeah. Rhythmic clapping, not just like 
general applause, you know. Right. Boy, do I ever love that guitar. It sounds so good. I think one thing that I noticed the Shins do really, really well on this album, they use the electric guitar and its plucky sound to, like, its full extent on this record. It's everywhere, and it's so different in different spots. It's, like, their primary vessel. And I think it's really neat to see all the different ways that they bring it to life. Starting right at the very beginning. What do you think of this album, and specifically, I guess, this song, lyrically? Because on a first pass, never having listened to the Shins before, or this music before, I kind of would expect it to maybe be a lot. I really enjoy their lyrics, I think, throughout the majority of the album. They have some fun, clever lyrics. They like to use words that you wouldn't necessarily see a lot. There's not a lot of places where there's just a mini Jenny rhyme. (laughs) No, no, Uh, there's not. (laughs) What I don't care for, and I had the same problem on Machine Gun Kelly, and I'm trying to remember which other one, but it's like the way they sing, I don't care for. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's got a, an interesting voice. There are specific songs that I think this their style hits really well, and it works, but not everyone. Yeah, that's fair. Kissing the Lipless, I think... Yeah, this one did all right for me. It was I think part of the problem was it was the first time I was hearing it, so I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Maybe on a second listen, I'd like this one better. Yeah, and the first verse, it starts unassuming. He talks about calling to see if your back was aligned and if your sheets were growing grass all on the corners of your bed. Yeah, I love all that. That's great. <laughs> right? Isn't it so cool? Calling for this innocuous reason, but like also just to check in on you and see if you've been getting out there. What because... I don't like about this song is that you have the great initial verse and then you have the great second verse kind of and then it just repeats the first verse and then the song ends on an outro it's just like you why there was no need to just completely repeat the first verse yeah i don't know give me something new yeah (laughs) that's that's fair and then like in the second one gluing tinsel on your crown what an image that's that's a really good line yeah gluing tinsel to your crown like a like you would glue a button to your pants apparently yeah hey it works your ailing heart and your criminal eyes another good line they said they they had some really clever imagery and lyrical choices in this song and they kind of soiled it a bit by just repeating it it's not like there's a shortage of lyrics it's not like they can't come up with more you're right i do love the the thing that they do too where they reverse the syntax of a sentence this like take the last chunk of the first verse here secretly i want to bury in the yard the gray remains of a friendship scarred like the syntax is all flipped you know if Mm -hmm. i were to say that normally i'd say oh i want to bury the friendship in the yard, I, I'd mix it up, where the object of the burial comes at the end. But it keeps you on your toes. The other thing I love is this idea of kissing the lipless. Oh, no. What? I just realized I only get two top threes <laughs> in a honorable mention instead of three top threes. <laughs> yeah, you do. So you're going to have to... I was sitting here. I ha- I need to figure out which one I want to cut. I was just looking at my top three list. I realized I have three plus a honorable mention written down. I have to eliminate one. Yes, you do. Oh, no. We'll talk about your your elimination process at the end. Yeah. I don't think you should be allowed to tell us which one you cut, because then it's like naming your top three. (laughs) Dang it, that's what I was going to (laughs) do. Yeah, no, that's too, no, I'm on to you. But don't you want to know which one I cut? Mm, We'll talk offline. (laughs) But I love this idea of kissing the lipless, because in terms of people, what's lipless? Mm -hmm. Like a skeleton, something that's long dead and rotted away and decayed but like to kiss person it, who to ch- has no lips yeah well a person that has no lips right but to kiss the lipless is to like romanticize and to try and still be with this 
relationship be involved in this thing that's long gone. A dead relationship. Yeah. It's again, it's a very clever concept. The, the concept of like pining for someone that's gone or a relationship that's ended is no new concept, but the way it w- in which they present that concept is unique. Yeah, very much so. I think Kissing the Lipless is kind of a, a perfect blend to me, like a sweet spot of half of it is absolutely off the rails, right? Totally unhinged. And then the other half of it is just completely rigid and unwavering all at once. That's what I love about this song. And a lot of it's got to do with the strumming pattern of the guitar versus like the, the yelling, screaming of his voice. It's just a, it's just a dissonance there. And it persists throughout the rest of the album, but I kind of like it. The second track on the album is called Mine's Not a High Horse. Yes. First of all, what a title. You know, Casey Musgraves had a high horse, right? Yes. Why don't you let go of your ego, get off your high horse, and get humbled, right? But to say mine's not a high horse is to kind of say, I'm starting from this humble point. I'm not on a high horse. Mine is a low horse. It's actually, it's a song about the founding of the Shins. Pretty biographical about that. And it's about a lot of the conflicts that he had with some of the band members early on that would evidently only escalate over time. I really like the way they start this one off with the drums. Yeah, I like the layered singing on this song. You can hear the two different notes as they're singing. You know, it's very, because of how trimmed back it is, Mm -hmm. I guess, instrumentally and production wise. It's almost like, and this is something that's consistent across the album as a whole kind of even though there are instrumentals and there are interesting instrumentals happening and things like that like it almost feels like background music whereas typically on an album the instrumentals either overpower the lyrics if they're too much or they like are on par with the with the lyrics in terms of how big they are and in this one it almost feels like almost as if they're singing a cappella. yeah even though there's instrumentals it's a weird phenomenon that i think has been unique to this band on this podcast Yeah, so far, I think it has. You could remove the instrumentals, and not much would change. Yeah, you'd have the same song. Yeah, in terms of how you're hearing them. Like, the instrumentals are good, and they add something to the song, but it doesn't affect how you digest their singing yeah i never thought about that but it is almost like they're two separate pieces of the same they're not like connected they're easily separated it's interesting yeah it is but i like it i like mine's not a high horse again it's another there's some good lyrics in here uh you left me wringing my cold hands i think putting the adjective cold in there is a really smart choice well, yeah, and the cold is a, an image that comes back. Mm-hmm. Watching convictions melt like ice cubes in an ocean. I love it, I love it. And then the chorus starts off so strong. Great, certified poetry line. You've got them all on your side. That just makes more for doubt to slaughter. I know. The more people agree with you now, the more your team is going to break apart over time, the more uh-huh. infighting that can happen. So get off your high horse and give a crap because people are getting at each other out here. Uh, they ought to drown him in holy water. It's it's the adjectives, right? Yes. That he's throwing in here. Calling it holy water rather than just drowning in normal water adds a whole nother layer. Yeah, it's a lot of water imagery too. Between the holy water to the, the muddy waters. The melted ice cubes in an ocean. Yeah, and his whole idea in the second verse, we hit this metaphor of sailing the ancient boat and being unable to turn it around because this is just the way things have always been. Everything always takes the same course of falling apart. So these are the muddy waters I've chosen to wade through for my career. (laughs) Like, I've put myself here, but that doesn't make it any more pleasant. It's just such a happy-sounding song about conflict. It's jaunty is the word I use to describe it. 
The third track on the album is So Says I, or at least that's what I say about it. This was the first one that I really was drawn in on the instrumentals for. Really? Yeah. That like first guitar riff hits and kind of lingers there for a minute, and then the drums pick up. It's that walk down, really. Yeah, it sells you. Yeah. It reminded me the most of the Beach Boys as well, the way that they start singing. Yeah. Uh, when they come in with the address on the golden door, that it was very Beach Boys-esque. Yeah, I guess it is. It's definitely more of a rocker than some of the previous. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what I'd call the previous ones, but this one's got a lot more of that like bluesy edge to it, kind of. Yeah. The song compares capitalism and communism, but in a very non-traditional way. We work through this saga of society being nothing like we'd ever dreamt, where, quote-unquote, our lust for life had gone away with the rent we hated. And so they revolt and they take over and things still suck. That's the moral of the story is maybe people just aren't meant to live happy, satisfied lives, right? We can't behave ourselves even if to save our own lives. So says I. We're brutal kind. It's kind of a... Kind of a pessimistic song, but despite its pessimism, this is actually a song that they use to close a lot of their live shows. Really? It's very popular amongst the fan base. Yeah. I just, I also, I really like the stylistic variety in this one a lot. We start with the squeaky and the distorted tones, and we walk it all the way down when we get to the chorus. I love just, just the whole construction of the chorus, because it made no money, no, and save no, you know, it just, that little melody at the end of the chorus, that hits right every single time. This is the song that actually got me to focus in on the electric guitar, because it's the same instrument mm-hmm. as Mine's Not a High Horse and Kissing the Lipless, but it's just so different. It's very distinctly the shins sounding, but it's also so simple, you know what I mean? It's a good balance. What did you think about Young Pilgrims? It sneaks in the album title. Yes, it does. I was wondering when I was looking at the track list why this was called Shoots Too Narrow. Well, they don't all have title tracks. No, but typically they do. That's, I would say, the common thing to do with an album title is to make it one of the tracks. That's true. That happens more often than not. And so when you don't see that, I'm always interested to see why. Sometimes they throw it in as a lyric. Sometimes it's something like Aptoptosis where it's just a generic feeling about the album. An idea, yeah. Oh, yeah, an idea. This one, I really like the singing. This is the, was the first one that I came across that the singing really engaged me. Probably. Uh, especially on the chorus. I liked how the, how the chorus sounded. It's a minimalistic song instrumentally, so definitely... But some have been some of the other ones. Sure, but on an album where you say the vocals and the instruments can be separated easily, mm-hmm. the less of the instruments there are the heavier the vocals feel, like the more weight you give them. Yeah. Yeah, the Shoots Too Narrow title comes from the very first verse. The whole song is about him as a songwriter. He's lonely and kind of depressed in the cold winter, and he ends up the kind of kid who goes down Shoots Too Narrow and gets stuck in a slide. Just that feeling of being trapped, you know, and not being able to go back the way you came from and not being able to move forward. It's this really claustrophobic, sinking feeling. It's what a, what an image. Yeah. And I love the title Young Pilgrims, too, because the young pilgrim is is someone who's forced into this new way of life, this new way to experience the world. You have to get into the bleak future by yourself because it's all that's left out there, right? It's very interesting. I love the way they use major chords in this song, too. That's what gives this song such a almost an eerie feel. They keep it major chords pretty much the whole time, and that forces them to make some interesting melodic decisions where, you know, sometimes it's a whole step where you might be expecting a half step. It just gives... It's a whole new flavor of tension to this album. It's nice. It is indeed nice. Nice. I like track five a lot too. St. Simon, 
we ditched the major chords on Young Pilgrims and hit St. Simon, which is mostly minor chords, all the way through that first verse. St. Simon is a song about the unknown, how things are sometimes beyond science or reason and we can't explain them. And in the end, the singer decides to intentionally remain ignorant, to stop beating himself up for what he doesn't know, and to embrace forgiveness and love and apathy all at once. It's uh, another not necessarily pessimistic song. Maybe nihilism is the better way to put it. Like, does it matter if we don't know it? You know, I don't know. It's, It's hard to wrap your head around. I really like this song. I think it's got amazing instrumentals, that kind of funky guitar beat, a kind of bop that's going on in the background. Mm-hmm. It's got background singers that come in on the verses for like the endings of phrases, which is really good. And the, the vocal rhythms are fun. How the first, if you look at each verse, is kind of a two couple couplets put together. Yeah. They kind of run together. You know, you bleed right from designed by intellects into so vexed. And then they put the break between uh, there's still so much and that hides. That so much they, they, that hides. Yeah, it holds out. Yeah, that's where they put the break in the line. So it, it, I think it's a interesting vocal rhythm as well. It really is. And when they smack you with that pre-chorus, yeah. it just it feels like a bell ringing to me. Mm-hmm. I'll try hard not to. Pre- it feels refreshing after we get into this descending, like, deep dive of a bouncy minor verse. Uh-huh. It's interesting to swing so far away from that on the pre-chorus. And I really like the song structure, too, because they went verse pre-chorus and then rather than hitting you with the typical chorus they jump back into another verse real fast Mm -hmm. before hitting you with another pre-chorus chorus yeah i wasn't expecting it typically that's not how a song is structured and i liked it yeah absolutely i'm never going to complain about having more verses than choruses (laughs) yeah i believe that the other thing i have to point out too is the internal rhymes oh man okay i know you don't like internal rhymes much i took notes when you talked about kanye (laughs) All right, with internal rhymes, as long as there's also in rhymes. Well, fair. And it's it's just remarkable to me that they're able to mix all these words up in a way that still makes sense, right? After all these implements and texts designed by intellects, so vexed to find evidently there's still so much that hides. Just a lot of repeating sounds. It's good. But yet they also still gave me my in rhymes. I wanted with hides, lines, and vine that all rhyme. Exactly. That's the difference is... They didn't abandon the end rhymes for the internal rhymes. I love the bells and the xylophone on this song, too, and a couple of the others earlier than this that we didn't exactly mention, but they really helped tie the album together for me. It's one of those elements that just gives this album a little more cohesion, along with the rigidity and the tone of the guitar and the bells. Everything feels like it fits together. This album is a little bit like a 10-piece puzzle, right? It's not hard to put it together, but all the pieces do fit. Hey, have you ever been in a fight? Never in a sack, that's for sure. (laughs) No, no, you've never fought in a sack? Can't say that I have. James Mercer has at least written a song about it on track number <laughs> six, Fighting in a Sack. This one felt like another Beach Boy vocal. The way that the vocals came in reminded me of the Beach Boys again. The rest of the song, not so much. But <laughs> <laughs> No. Eh, well, kind of. Kind of. I think the undertones are still there. Sure. Especially after that first chorus. The bum 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 bums are great. They do a lot of vocal ping-ponging. Yeah. This song, it's a good old death song. A reminder of our mortality. How do we deal with this knowledge? Where do we learn it? Does it even matter whether we fear death? Or should we just live in the here and now and embrace it? Who's this song? Who knows? It's a short little song, but wow, is it ever fast. Yeah. It's 2 minutes, 26 seconds, and they don't waste any time. Another thing that stood out to me in this song was the drums. Again, for some reason, I noticed the drums a lot on this album, even though they're very much not the focal point of most of these songs. But sometimes they just stuck out to me. 
And I love that they cut out the drums on the bridge. That middle eight was drumless. I kind of liked that. Mm -hmm. And we got some harmonica in there. I'm sorry. I know you said just a couple weeks back, you said every song should be legally required to have a harmonica in it. You said they should just, it would force people to mix it up and be more creative with how they put a harmonica in there. But I feel like this should prove that that would not work. I don't mind the harmonica. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. But it sounded a lot like the same kind of harmonica we had on Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, and Randy Travis. It didn't feel like it changed much. Well, that's their fault for not changing it enough. Fair. What'd you think about Pink Bullets? Oh, I really liked Pink Bullets, too. Ooh, okay, yeah. So first off, it's another one that the instrumentals are stronger on. They're, they're more of a feature in Pink Bullets than on some of the other songs. Yes. And it's also, I think, got the most well-rounded vocal sound as well. Like, if there was a song on this album that the vocals and the instruments actually work together and are connected... It's Pink Bullets. Yeah, and I think in that regard, it's cool that it's the only song that does that. I think it proves that they can do it, and that kind of proves to me, at least, that shows me that they choose not to do it on all the other songs. Yeah. The other thing I really like about Pink Bullets is that it does what Kissing the Lipless was missing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know how I complained on Kissing the Lipless that they just repeated the first verse again after the second one? Oh, yeah. This one, they changed the chorus. Yeah, nothing really matches they're a scattered line here and there but i mean right but they, they're constantly changing it up and that's what the first song was missing and this proves that they again can do it right mm -hmm. like you kind of said there's no shortage pink bullets feels like a dramatic western song to me like a ghost town saloon song yeah have you seen like the art for this song i have the little like paper cow statues are they cows i was gonna say i was gonna say dogs but i kind of like cows well they kind of it sounds like a cowboy song and they look like cows in a pen to me yeah, and you know how you know how cowboys are always riding those cows well <laughs> no but yes <laughs> i don't know I, I i like it the like weird cardboard i i was thinking dogs and i thought they were kind of like squaring up fair squaring up dogs sure this song, it's a breakup song, right? This couple has to cut ties for their own good, and Mercer's working on coming to terms with it. Yeah. And we repeat some of these images we had. I was bony hands as cold as a winter pole, right? With the cold hands and yeah. the winter. You held a warm stone out, yep. new flowing blood to hold. Wow. Like, he talks about this whole backstory of why they even came together in the first place. And eventually, you know, after the years have been short but the days were long, everything changes. A thousand summers pass, and then we get into this kite metaphor, which will become important later. When our kite lines crossed, we tied them into knots, but in order to be free, to escape, we just had to cut them, you know? We had to cut the kites loose and let the wind carry them in separate directions. That's such a strong metaphor. I like the song. I think it's just about the perfect contrast to fighting in a sack. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, just, I really like this song. There's not really, other than the occasional line, nothing's really repeated. We got that nice harmonica solo. We do. Yeah, this harmonica was different. This one changed it up. I love the line, another certified poetry of a line. Since then, it's been a book you read in reverse, so you understand less as the pages turn. That's a really good one. I, yeah. I just like that. I guess when you think about reading a book in reverse, my mind immediately goes to like spoiling the ending and like just reading what the ending is ahead of time. So, you, you know, people who do that, they always read the ending first. Yeah, which I don't understand. But Which is where I was expecting that line to go. But then to say you understand less as the pages turn, that's almost like rewinding time now is the image, right? Like you, mm -hmm. it's like starting at the end of the book and going backwards and forgetting everything you've that. As you read it, you almost forget it, right? Because you're rewinding the time. It's almost like you read the book forwards, and then they just rewound it. 
it's a really unique perspective. I will say the next line is a bit silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I like it. Or a movie so crass and awkwardly cast that even I could be the star. Like, that just sounds like a cheesy poem. Maybe. It's a good little dose of self-deprecation. Oh, yeah, sure. It feels like a cheesy line in a limerick to me. Yeah. It's a bit silly, but it works. The imagery's good. It is. That brings us to track number eight, Turn a Square. We, we get right back into the kite imagery. In the chorus, he sings, my head is a kite. And, and it's all about how he is here and he's there and he follows wherever the wind blows and gets whisked away to the next person or place or experience in just a split second. So he has trouble focusing on this relationship, really paying attention to his person or, or to anything, really. He just is on a whim. That's what Turn a Square is. This song had way more of a rock and roll vibe to me. The instrumentals at the beginning felt like they could almost be taken out of something like Grease or like a Dick Dale song. You know, I kind of kind of got some vibes from it. Sure. My only real notes for this one, it has another good run by the guitar, like on So, Sa- so Says I. You know, I mentioned the, the guitar run on that one. Yeah. I really like what it does. And it comes in with that, like, clacking, and then it comes in with just boom, 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 and it's it's so good. It is. It's really it's such a strong sound. And I love the, how they contrast that really low end with the beeping that's kind of in there mm-hmm. and waves from ear to ear, and there's some really cool minor chords right as we get to such a creature I sight. Yeah. What a combination. I just, I like the way everything lands on this song. This is one where I don't like the start of each of these deliveries, but I really like the way that they end. It gets stronger towards the end of each phrase or each image or each moment. Yeah. I like the song. I, I think Turn a Square maybe is a little forgettable, but it has some unforgettable moments, like Stay the Course. Yeah, that was... I was going to say it's a bit more forgettable. It's a, it's a forgettable song with some big moments that you'll remember long after you finish the album. Sure. They'll sneak up on you. Something else that stuck up on, on me was the next song. Really? Gone for Good was a sneaky one? I think Gone for Good had the most interesting vocal rhythm. Really? That ca- that cadence bum 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 that like it like it like bounces. Yeah, it does. And so I would also say that much like kissing the lipless and once not a high horse where it's that same kind of vocal style that I said I didn't care for. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite. It's, it's a different vocal style than what you see on like St. Simon or Pink Bullets, right? Yeah. I think Gone for Good has my favorite version of that vocal style where it's kind of him singing over top of the background lyrics kind of with that unpolished tone, I guess. Yes. I think this was my favorite one. It's just a catchy song. I don't know. I, I found myself kind of like bouncing my head around after I listened to this one even once I was Ooh. done listening to the album. We haven't had a bouncer in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and it also it has that layered singing like in High Horse in there and I think it's executed slightly better. Yeah, I could I get that. Especially on the chorus, the harmony is is tight and it's prevalent. Yeah. To the point where you can hardly distinguish harmony from melody. They're they're almost hand in hand. Mhm. I like the concept of this song too. It's it's unusual because sometimes, so far, on a lot of the albums we've talked about, and even on this album, if we're going to get a song about a relationship, it's either a love song, a wanna-be-in-love song, or like a breakup song, right? Mm-hmm. We've already broken up. This song is, hey, we're engaged, <laughs> marriage is coming, I'm feeling really nervous about it, everything's way too much, and this is overwhelming, and I have to break off the engagement and leave. This is one of my favorite rhyme songs on the album, too. Like, they really nail all the rhymes in this one. It's true. Two of my bigger examples in this one are 
when they go, I've spent 12 long months on the lamb. That's enough sitting on the fence for the fear of breaking dams. The, the, the cadence really lends itself to nailing the lamb dam rhyme. The best rhyme, I'm calling it now for myself at least, on the entire album. Ooh. It's got both an internal kind of rhyme and an in rhyme in it. So get used to the lonesome, girl, you must atone some. The atone and loan rhyme, and so does the, of course, they both end in just some, but. Well. It, it's like a way of making the ends of the words match what you want to sing along to, but then giving you that middle rhyme of loan and atone, which is special. Yeah, it is. It's not something you can do well a lot. I think it's tough and then they the, and then the way they, they sing it vocally you then on the third line kind of get that third rhyme in there with the word phone mm-hmm. they kind of put that on they don't leave me no phone number there that phone lines up rhythmically with the atone and lonesome rhymes so you kind of get a triple rhyme there yeah you do the triple whammy it's a good song but that brings us to the final one yes 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 it does those to come those to come it's a wild song it it's it, gets me every time it's a wild song about i the best i could come up with is perspective you know all the good things in life have the potential to sour and everything can and maybe certainly will alter corrupt and destroy us over time no matter how good it is this song felt a bit out of place on the album you think tone wise i felt like it didn't match the rest of the album oh yeah oh yeah it was a good song it just you know i'm gonna pull one of your moves where it pulled me out of it because it was so different it didn't match. It doesn't match at all. But I liked it. It was good. That guitar crescendo that they really draw out as the guitar just kind of mm-hmm. gets louder and louder and becomes more encompassing. That was nice. You don't get a lot of true crescendos in music anymore, I feel like. A lot of things just jump from loud to soft or they build very quickly. Like this one was nice and drawn out. It reminds me of like the THX sound that always would play before a movie where it's like <laughs> it just gets louder and louder and louder. Like that's what this song this was doing with that guitar, just like getting louder and louder until it finally gave you the release into the rest of the song. Boy, that's a thing I never thought to compare. <laughs> But you're right. Yeah, it does. It starts small and it has to build. And it built. It just though it's not rushed. They really draw it out. Yeah, it's just, it's tied for the longest song on the album, which is interesting for the last track. And I think it's telling that it's you know quote unquote only four minutes and thirty seconds for being the longest on the record. We've seen much longer. Yeah, just to give you an idea. The first twenty five seconds of the song is just that same guitar like little riff over and over just each time louder and more echoey until yeah. you hit the 25 second mark when he finally comes in with the word eyeless and so that's just 25 seconds of build you gotta savor it you gotta savor it it's uh it's so soft and quiet i think that laid back sound kind of slightly it disguises the message it, it like belies the meaning of the song but it draws your focus straight into the lyrics which is what they want it's nice. And I love the choice that he makes on the chorus where each lyric gets its own beat, right? It's it's a whole measure. It's its own moment to shine. Cold, still, waiting in the ether to form, feel, kill. Like everything gets a second for you to absorb it. And the pacing of it is really what's interesting. Yeah. The chorus on this one actually reminded me of another song that we've done on this podcast that was actually my pick for our playlist. Really? Which song is that? Surprisingly, it reminded me of June from Inner Wave. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. The way that they build it, you know, they give you that they are cold, still, and then it just continues to build and build and kind of stair-step its way up through the entire kind of one-hit chorus lines. Yeah. It's the same way June kind of goes with bum, 
bum bum. You know, it's just that same style, except June goes down, whereas this one was going up. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah, and I got all that off of one listen. Good work. I'm proud. <laughs> yeah. You you actually, as a whole on this album, you squeezed a lot more out of it on one listen than I expected you to. You're getting good. You're getting really good at the one listen thing. I try. And the comparative listening, you know, you could hear an album and say, oh, it sounds like what we heard on this or that. That's so exciting. Well, we've finally got a big enough, we've got a big enough library build up I can reference back to. Yeah, right. <laughs> you could start. This song is cool because it does, it builds that crescendo. And then at the end, we have a huge instrumental. It, it's it's good to like keep us in the mood, kill some time, and prime us for the last choruses. But then the last 30 seconds is so quiet again that you almost can't even hear it. Mm-hmm. But boy, is it there, secretly. I just want to talk about that last chorus as well, just really, really fast. Because again, they hit you with that first chorus where they build up their cold, still, blah, 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 all the way up through Only to Die. And then they immediately go into it again. And at first I was like, uh-oh, we're about to have a kissing the lipless moment again. But no, they just repeat it all the way up through Only to Die. And then they tack on this extra dissolve magically, absurdly. They'll end, like, they build off of it. And I really like what they added. And it made the repeat worth it to add that last little bit onto it. So that's going to bring us into Final Spin, the part of the show where we spin finally. I'm interested to hear your score for this album. I'm interested to hear your score for this album. I feel like it could go one of two very different ways for you. Uh-huh, it could. And I had ideas of where you'd put it, but after hearing you talk, I have new ideas of where you'd put it. Oh. Mm, yeah. So I am doing something I've not yet done for this podcast. Yeah? Yeah. When I scored this album for the first time, it was May of 2020. We're recording this episode in April of 2022. It's been nearly two years. And I looked at this score and I thought, oh no, that's not right. I'm going to have to change the score on the fly. After Whoa. after revisiting for the podcast, I've realized my original lyric score. I'll do that was, for Miley Cyrus and, and Barry Manilow. Barry's pretty good. Barry's probably not going to change. We'll get the updated score this time. First, let's talk playlist songs. I would have no problem with three or four of these being on the playlist. I don't know which one I want exactly, but my strongest contenders are probably So Says I, St. Simon, and maybe Pink Bullets. I think for my one playlist pick... I think it's going to go to St. Simon. St. Simon, all right. It's one of the most musically complex songs on the album. And I, I like a lot of what we talked about with the, the rhythmic bouncing and the bell type pre-chorus. Like, it's just got a lot going for it, and I like that. Good pick. It deserves to be representative of this album in the long run on our playlist. As far as scores go, music is so cool. I, I think they make a lot of distinct like decisions about major chords, where to use them, how to use them, minor chords, where to sneak them in where to linger on them. The melodies, for the most part, are pretty catchy. There's one or two that you'll just kind of forget, but not many. I think it's pretty strong throughout and certainly strong enough to support the lyrics. Some of the guitar solos kind of fall a little flat. Their use of the guitar is a thing we'll cover in instrumentation. But as far as music goes, chords and melody structures and stuff, uh, I'm giving it an 83. Lyrics is the score that needed to change for me. My initial score, I've realized, was far, far too low after a couple years of ranking <laughs> have gone by since then. And what's not to love lyrically about this album? All, there's so many different metaphors, and yet they're also interconnected with the kites, with the water and the cold and the hot, and everything kind of kind of gels. And everything's really poignant, really visual, 
really imaginable. You know how we talked about how the Smashing Pumpkins was kind of like a walk through Billy Corgan's Nightmare Land? Yeah. This feels like a little walk through James Mercer's little, not Nightmare Land necessarily, but like Fever Dream, right? It's just got this uh, really coherent, like very cohesive feel to it. Lyrically, I think the rhymes are awesome. The internal and end rhymes are all top notch. I'm giving it an 87 for lyrics. That actually might be a bit low. I know. It might be a bit low, but that's a 10-point increase from where it was. Oh, wow. I know. I looked at the 77 that was there before, and I said, no way. What was I thinking? (laughs) Yeah. It's getting a good, yeah, a good healthy increase there. As far as instruments and production goes, what an interestingly produced album. Like you talked about, it feels almost disjointed at times, but not disconnected. It's so weird. Like, it's so hard to explain without listening to it. Like, I just say, go listen to it and see if you can understand what we mean when we say it feels like the music and the vocals are almost disconnected. They stand separately. The electric guitar, awesome. They make such a great use of it. They go with the distorted sounds. They go with the plucky clean sounds you get the high end the low end it's all there and it's all in different places to very different effects it works super well the drums are often really creative and clever they propel the song well and then when they cut out you notice it that's what i like you know a good spot where the drums stop and you catch it the organs the bells everything sounds like it belongs on this album with the exception of those to come which doesn't sound like it belongs on the album but the lyrics put it (laughs) right in good company so i'm given instruments of production in 86 overall vibe what's what's there to say super consistent super quick it's an easily digestible record even though a lot of the subject matter is pretty introspective and kind of heavy sometimes it's it takes a lot to take such dense subject matter and spin it in a way that isn't is easy you know i'm given vibe an 87 and james mercer as the composer of all songs will earn that bonus point taking his final score to an 86.3 for the shins shoots too narrow okay respectable yeah, 86.3. I think the, like I said, I, I think the lyrics honestly might be a bit low, but I'm happy with your overall score, so. Me too, me too. That puts it somewhere in the high, well, I guess technically low 170s, but higher on the ranking list, 174-ish. So that's me. Now I'm curious to know about you. Now, as we talked about a couple times, you're only going to get two top threes because you decided to steal well an absurd, <laughs> unprecedented four top threes picks from barry yeah. manilow so well, we'll get your top two in conorable mention the way i'm really doing it is you're getting just my top three no conorable mention because the conorable mention is always just the bonus one tacked on so if i have to drop one okay the conorable mention is going away and you're just left with what's the top three it could be technically a top two in a conorable mention but then the conorable mention is just technically my third choice so <laughs> you're right <laughs> it's yeah you're right fair you're just getting a a normal connor top three how it originally started before I stretched it for all it was worth. <laughs> <laughs> that was last week when you stretched it for all it was worth. I could have stretched it for a little more. I thought about it. If you had taken all 12 tracks <laughs> off Barry Manilow, we would have been doing some rule changes. <laughs> I so thought about it. My top three in album order, St. Simon. Good pick. Pink Bullets. Yeah, Pink Bullets. Okay. And Gone for Good. Ooh. I like I like a lot of the lyrics on Gone for Good. That's its strongest point. 
My honorable mention was from that beginning somewhere in there. What could it be? What could it have been? <laughs> that audience. That's you got to just take a guess. I'm not allowed to tell you. <laughs> but for a playlist pick, I'm really struggling between Pink Bullets. I'm glad you put, took Saint Simon because that would have really made my choice hard if you hadn't. Uh-huh. Pink Bullets and Gone for Good. Pink Bullets has that great harmonica solo. Good singing and instrumental cohesion on that one. It's got a catchy guitar run. Gone for Good's got that fantastic vocal rhythm and the my favorite rhyme. It's also more representative of the vocal sound on the majority of the album and their best representation of that sound. Yeah. I don't know which one to go with, but I think I'm going to go with Gone for Good. I'm yeah, Gone for Good. I think if I'm picking one if I'm picking one to immortalize on our playlist, I think it's only fair to go with Gone for cuz Saint Simon and Pink Bullets have similar vocal sounds. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like Whereas Gone for Good is representative of the other half of what this album sounds like right yeah gone for good plays better with saint simon than pink bullets yeah. if i were to pick two i'm sad that i have to not pick the harmonica it's okay it'll always be there you can always listen to it it's just not on the playlist yeah so uh, that'll be our two playlist picks saint simon and gone for good both of which were in my top three so i'm pretty happy with that yeah as for a score i before i say my number you indicated you had an idea where you thought it would go, but then that changed after hearing me talk about it. I want to know where you thought I was going to put it. Yeah, well, so coming into this, it is, it's a bit of like indie-infused folk music, and you've made several comparisons to Apoptosis, whether it's lyrically or some of the melodic decisions that they've made. I kind of expected you to slot this in somewhere around a six, okay. where you've got the head and the heart, Apoptosis, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys with their falsetto vocals, some of the higher range pop rock stuff. You know, this feels like, I felt like it was going to be a six for you. Sure. Uh, and then you started talking about a lot of the lyrics, and it seemed like a lot of the things you liked about the lyrics put it more in line with something like Golden Hour or Storms of Light, like somewhere higher than a six. I would not be surprised if you put this in a seven or an eight, but I'm leaning towards... I say the T the you just referenced were both eights. Uh-huh. I'm leaning towards you putting this low eights, maybe above Avenged Sevenfold. Low eights. We'll see. What do you What do you think? I don't want to influence your placement too much. Sure. You know, you're not. I just I wanted to see where your thinking was. How close am I? Yeah, you pretty much nailed my thinking. I went into this hearing that first track and thinking that if that's what this whole album sounds like, it's going to be a six. Yeah. Just off of track one. But the, as I listen track by track and more of those lyrical highlights and those unique vocal runs and lyrical or in or, or rhythmical choices presented themselves. The score just kept going up and up, you know? Yeah. At, at no point. I feel like, honestly, the first track is the worst track of the 10 for me. And so it only went up from there. Shoots Too Narrow. Uh, we've had albums before that I've classified as growers, right? They're not albums that'll stick with you right away. You got to give them a couple listens and let them breathe. And eventually you'll come to love them. I think Shoots Too Narrow is also a grower, but it grows fast. It also has the issue of it's kind of the opposite of what I usually like about albums in the sense that like a lot of the things I'll point out is like I really like the surround sound sound like being able to crank this up in a car windows down and just rock out to it. Not a chance. That doesn't happen on an, on an album where the instruments are so detached from the rest from the rest of the song that's just not a, that's not possible right mm -hmm. this is like something you would maybe be listening to while you read a good book or something you know like it, it's a completely different feel and with all that you very much nailed my score this one's gonna get an eight out of ten yeah i'm gonna slot it 
either above or below walls. Oh. I need to give walls another listen before I change my mind. So it's off by one. You were thinking somewhere around above Avenged Sevenfold. I don't think it's quite there. I'm really struck. I like my gut is to put it below walls, but I'm thinking I'm being influenced by some of those really popular, like the ones that are on our playlist for walls. Uh huh. One of my favorite playlist songs on the entire playlist that we've done now which is over like 70 tracks at this point is over it's one of my favorite on the playlist and so i'm afraid yeah your first love yeah don't say it's over all right i won't say it's over anymore (laughs) so i'm afraid songs like that are influencing (laughs) me wanting to put it below walls especially since i'm struggling to remember some of the other tracks you already think you rated walls too high you've indicated that before yeah so i want to i want to go re-listen the walls and i might even re-listen to avenge sevenfold just to be on the safe side but I'm thinking it go. It's definitely better than that's Christmas to me. So it's definitely going above that. It's just on what side of wall of the wall <laughs> is it gonna fall? Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're interested to see where it ends up, go check out the the rankings list. I am very interested to see where it ends up. I'm also interested to hear what could possibly be worth more or less than eight moments wasted. My unit. Well, I'll tell you what's worth more or less than eight moments wasted, and that's eight mental boost out of ten. Eight. Eight mental boosts. Yeah, definitely. This was a mentally boosted episode. Did it Did it show? Audience, could you tell that Connor was a little extra mentally boosted this week? I had all those great comparisons to past albums that you're pointing out. And you're yeah, you did. complimenting my one, my one listen skills. I was mentally boosted. You were mentally boosted. Keep drinking that Mountain Dew. Not a sponsor. But could be. Hey, if you're interested, <laughs> Mountain Dew, you know where to find us. At Spin It Pod on Twitter, at Spin It Pod Official on Instagram, and www.spinitpod on the web. That's where we are, Mountain Dew. And audience, you can find us there too. Eight out of ten. I'm I'm happy with how well I was able to predict your score on this one. Yeah. You're getting to, you're getting to know my taste better. I am. And this is an album where we were way more in sync. Like we our opinions mm-hmm. aligned a lot more than they were in conflict. Sure. But that's going to do it. You know, you f- you know where to find us. We have a Facebook page now. It exists. Give us your suggestions for the Spin It Singles episode. Yeah, we have an upcoming second installment of Spin It Singles. And we would love your input. We want to make a show about what you are listening to. I've got a couple suggestions from listeners that I've talked to. I have a few as well already. Spots are filling up. We need more. We need more. So be on the lookout for that coming your way in just a, a short few episodes. And until then, what else is there to say but the usual? Keep, keep spinning. spinning. What was that? Uh, that's, just, that's just my cupcake. I'll blend it up and ready to drink. You're drinking cupcakes. Fantastic. Mentally boosted. <laughs> that's what happens when you're mentally boosted. <laughs> <laughs>